Hello everyone, my name is Daniel Aniceto and I'm here with my co-host Rafael Portillo. Welcome to a new episode of CalCap Doc Talks, where we talk to filmmakers about their documentaries, films that were accepted for this year's annual film festival. In this episode, we will be talking about two films relating to doing what you love, no matter the cost, and struggles that come along the way. For our first segment, we will be talking about the film Losing Grip. When we were kids, we dream of becoming astronauts or the next best soccer player or, you know, whatever we really wanted to do. But as we grow older and experience what it actually takes to get where we want to be, we tend to give up because, frankly, it's very hard. The kid in this story dreams of participating in the Olympics, but as life has it, it's not as easy as it may seem. Will he be able to realize his dream and participate in the Olympics? Join me in talking with the director of Losing Grip, Stephen Nye. Here I am with the director of Losing Grip, Stephen Nye. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Now, Stephen, let's just run down the basics. What is, what is Losing Grip about? So Losing Grip is a feature-length documentary that I actually started while I was still in high school. Um, I didn't really know yet, but um, I was a gymnast, a competitive gymnast from the age of two until kind of the middle of high school. And I was starting to get into filmmaking. And one of my teammates, this is in Minnesota, he was really, really good. So I started filming him just kind of for fun on his social media platforms. Um, and I kind of continued him after I graduated high school. Um, I took a gap year and traveled with him. He went to the University of Minnesota. So I traveled with the gymnastics team and sort of uh, documented their career um, and his career. And then uh, he actually went on to go to the Tokyo Olympics. Um, that was in 2021. And so the documentary covers all the way from when I started filming with him in 2015, all the way to his return in 2021. So it, you took like how many years with this team? Like seven or six? Or so with so in terms of when I actually decided I wanted to make this documentary, it was around 2019. So in terms of like uh, pretty hardcore going into the, the documentary, probably like three years. But I have archival mm. from uh, a few years prior to that. And you mentioned that in your biography synopsis, it said that you knew. Uh, Shane, who Shane, who is the main character of the documentary, you know, you know him since like childhood. Yeah, so we trained together. Um, I think it was like the start of middle school. He transferred to the gym where I was training, and so we were basically teammates, um, middle school through high school. So, how like personal like was this film for you? Because like that's like basically seeing like your friend, like you're kind of like in a way documenting your friend's life and you're documenting his ups and his down, his family. Like it's just for me, I was thinking, cause like what if I made a documentary about my friend and it would just kind of hurt me to like edit, like see him like fail, you know? And I don't know if you could like feel like the same or what you felt while like watching those difficult moments. Right. It's, um, it's very, it was very challenging because there's a lot of points in the film that are, you know, everything does not go the way you would hope. Um, so there's a lot of failure. Um, and I'm also um, close with his family because his dad um, actually just retired, but he was a stunt pilot and he flew a plane in air shows kind of around the country. And so I was filming with him a fair amount 
um, and he's taught me a lot. Um, and there's actually a small segment of his dad because um, there's quite a few similarities I was able to see between his dad, who does all these flips in the air in an airplane, and Shane, who does all these flips in gymnastics. Um, and so it is, you know, it is a very personal film. Um, and to, to see um, the struggle, um, while it is sort of, you know, dramatic, it, it makes the film have more meaning because if he was able to just hit every routine, stick it every time, win first place, it wouldn't have as much of a story as seeing all the struggles that he went through to get to the Olympics, which one of the, the major conflicts, of course, um, COVID happened, which set him back a year, but really the, the biggest conflict in the film is that where he was training at the University of Minnesota, they cut their men's gymnastics program 10 months before he went to the Olympics. Mm, I know that sounds like a, uh, it's, it's a huge setback. And I, I liked how you were able to like, when I was watching it for the first time, like I just felt like he was, um, Shane was very la relatable to me, even though I don't do gymnastics. And I feel like one of the reasons for that is because you just kept it, uh, you kept it real with us. You kept it like, yes, like from uh, from an audience perspective, um, athletes in general, like the, like it has to be in top condition, have to do everything perfect. But you show the humane side, the side of it. You show him struggle, you show him in his uh, faces of doubt and et cetera. Now, Going back to the um, editing perspective, were you, you know, because it's like, you know him, were you ever tempted to like make it a bit, like make him look a bit more, you know, make his struggles not look so much as bad as it was? Or were you were you like ever just, no, nah, I got to keep it real? Um, so I, I did want to make it as authentic as possible. And one of the biggest parts, especially in editing, was to make sure that everybody not, you know, people who don't know anything about gymnastics could also watch this and be able to understand. So there's a lot of um, sort of more more basic things that um, people who are in the gymnastics community would be like, oh, that's that's obvious. We already know what the six events are, but I wanted to make sure that a wide audience would be able to understand and sort of uh, appreciate the story. Um, and in terms of like the actual like manipulating, I tried to be authentic, as authentic um, with you know his story. Um, of course there, you know, the, the film is only an hour, but I had, you know, many, many hours. So there are other sort of tangents that I could have gone on. Um, but I actually worked closely with one of my film professors. I graduated from the university of Tampa and most of my editing, um, actually the, the final two years of production was while I was still a student. And, um, my professor, who's a, producer on the film, his name is Dr. Christopher Bolton. He really helped me with that story of shaping um, how it should flow and the parts to sort of emphasize um, and and really get that story. Right. And I, I imagine that when talking to a professor, like he is giving you good feedback. He's telling you what's wrong, what's right. And another aspect of where I found the story to be so relatable is the, the aspect of succeeding in whatever you want to do in life, you know, reaching that potential, re reaching that greatness. And there's a quote that I found like it's specifically meant for gymnastics, but I feel like it could like also apply to just in general anywhere. So let me read that. So it says it's very rare that you win in gymnastics. And that's one of the most unusual things about the sport. We spend more time failing than being successful. Now, 
in general speaking, why do you think as we, like, perhaps put, your, put yourself in perspective as a, a film documenter and you, like, fail a lot of times, you make these mistakes, but, like, what? why do we, in general, like, get back up? Perhaps could it be, like, the love of the game, the love of the hold of the camera? Why do you think we keep getting back up? That's a good question. Um, I really do feel like, you know, it's sort of the journey and the process um, that really is exciting. And, um, you know, you can look at just the end product of going to the Olympics. And so it's a great achievement or completing a feature documentary. It's a huge achievement. Um, and to, in order to get to that point is a tremendous amount of work and dedication and things don't always go right. And it's, you know, you're, so I, I was in my college dorm room, essentially editing this and spending so much time that's, you know, I, I could be out doing other things with other people, but I, I knew that the end goal of being able to create a film like this really was I what I wanted and um, sort of that dedication and sort of self-discipline to get to that point, um, you know, I found very rewarding. Yeah, I feel like, if we just get it right now and then, like an instant gratification, yes, it's going to like feel good for a little bit, but then like it just won't feel as like relieving, if that makes sense. Like I, you work so hard for this, you fail so many times, and you learn about yourself as well in those obstacles. And that's why I kind of wanted to touch on because we see Shane grow up in a sense on camera. He, we see him learn stuff. We see him fail, talk to people. But... I was wondering while watching the film, what about the guy behind behind the camera? Like, what has he learned throughout this process of filmmaking about himself? So that's a good question. Um, when I was like in high school, I went to the Full Frame Documentary Film Festival, and I was you know talking with several filmmakers there, and there kind of was a general idea that the filmmaker should not be in the film. So there's kind of this sort of conception that to make a good documentary it should be purely observational and not um have anything to do with the filmmaker themselves um but you know i've seen this with a number of films and since as the filmmaker i was very deeply connected to the subject and um you know new gymnastics had kind of been through that um i i made the choice that i am in just like very small parts of the film um, either to like explain sort of what's going on or during the interview after Shane got from the Olympics, when he got back, I, you know, there's just like a one cutaway shot of me interviewing him when it's kind of like a, a meta moment in the documentary. Yeah. You're, you're a clean shaven, I think. Yep. Right. Yeah. There we go. I actually started growing my beard right after the premiere of the film. Uh -huh. and that was like a year ago. So. <laughs> uh, it looks great, man. It looks great. Keep it up. Keep it up. Thank you. You're talking about how, um, you know, it's not common for the director to be in the film, but you, you're kind of like doing your own thing. So with myself being in the film, um, I really wanted to sort of portray how important um, the relationship was with Shane. And most gymnastics films that I've seen are usually shot by people who don't really know anything about gymnastics or not, were not a gymnast. And gymnasts can move very erratically if you don't know what's coming. 
Um, but since I was a gymnast and I've watched Shane do his routines many, many times and I can anticipate what's coming, especially because I, I love cinematography and the technical aspect of filmmaking. And to be able to set up the camera to capture this moment. Um, no, yeah, I enjoyed it too because I remember um, regarding visuals, um, I, I'm, I'm sure pretty, uh, a lot of people as well, I just don't know too much about gymnastics. I also, I, I do find the rules a bit um, confusing because at the, towards the end, like he was this guy, uh, I think it was one of the coaches, was like, people find watching like cornhole to be just easier to watch instead of gymnastics, which I think is actually kind of crazy because like gymnastics is like going in circles through 60 and then through 60 the other way. And then cornhole is a whole just simple thing. But what I liked about the visual specifically is that you kind of approach, it's a very educational in the sense that um, Shane was talking about specific, um, uh, like, I don't know how to say, like specific uh, routines that he does, like flips, and you showed it. You showed it as well, the flips or like us as the audience who has zero like knowledge of what this is. You kind of like treated us, treated us with respect because you didn't like, you didn't like uh, approach this film like everyone already knows the basics rules of gymnastics and that is something which i really appreciated but going on with that were there any like perhaps because you know shane you know the the, the environment because you grew up in it but this time you have a camera in your hand so were there like any obstacles this time in filming the documentary yes so to answer the first part of the question, um, I really didn't want to dive too deep into the technical aspects of the scoring because the scoring has gotten significantly more confusing. Um, it used to be just every routine was out of a 10.0, which most people sort of know gymnastics as a perfect 10 is like a perfect routine. But um, a number of years ago, they made it more complicated where the you know more difficult skills you do you have a higher start value and then you take your deductions off of that. And, and so it's a much more confusing sort of scoring system. And even like, even me, I sort of have a general understanding of like the scoring system. I still don't know like what a good score is and what's not a good score because it changes on every event. So it, it is like very, very confusing, which um, as it says in the film, like it's, it's, that's kind of a negative factor for audience to watch because it's just very confusing. Um, so then going to the the obstacles that I faced while filming, um, being um, trying to create a documentary while COVID was sort of at its peak was a very challenging sort of time period in the film um, because I was not able to access Shane for a long period of time. Um, so I did a number of like Zoom calls, just kind of getting a little caught up with him. Um, there was a period of time where I he was the only gymnast training um, at this one gym where we used to train at. He was the only one. And I was really trying to get permission to go in and film, you know, with all the safety precautions that we could do. But he wasn't really supposed to be training at that time because this was like really the peak. Um, so I, I just wasn't able to access him. Um, but also the the Olympic trials, that was another very challenging sort of uh, media credential to obtain. Um, and it basically came to the week of, I still had no credential to do anything. And I like just a few days beforehand got permission to film his parents in the stands of the Olympic trials, which I was happy with that and got that 
interesting perspective. Um, so there, there were quite a few challenges, but for the mass, vast majority of, you know, asking all the people if they'd want to be part of the documentary and an on-camera interview, most people were very open and open to letting me share their story. Yeah, because I feel like there's like a, a similarity between um, Shane and just everyone else to a sense who wants to achieve something is uh, the thought of giving up. Because he, at the end, mentioned that, like, he's been, like, struggling through some stuff, and he thought of giving up for a little bit. And I'm hearing your story, the paperwork. And I remember in the in documentary, like, you requested for a response, and yet no one responded. And then, like, COVID times. W were you ever tempted to, like, just pull out, I give up, or nah? So, um, right before the Olympic trials, um... I had this thought in the back of the, my mind that if Shane did not make the Olympics, it would be basically one setback after another setback after another setback after like a you know huge setback. And it really would not make a great story because he would just be losing every single time. Um, and so if if he had not, achieve that the, the film probably would have been scrapped and that would be multiple years of filming that really wouldn't I wouldn't have put together into anything um and then for the athletic director I reached out to the University of Minnesota which I never was a student there I kind of reached out with this third party perspective like I want to understand your side of the story um why they s would just cut these programs and and essentially the response I got back was just like a pre-written out, like this is what we have commented on before. We're not interested in any interview. Thank you. You ended up pulling it off. Uh, and it was a beautiful. I really enjoyed the film, um, Stephen. And to conclude, I want to read off this quote that says, uh, from the film, of course, that says that the true champion seeks excellence physically, mentally, socially, and morally. And Steven, you completing this film, to me, I think you're a true champion because you not only educated ourselves, but you also like showed the uh, the human experience of an athlete. You know, you didn't you didn't um, dramatize them. You didn't put them in there in a high school. You, you put them where like how they are in real life. They're just, you know, humans like us. And Steven, I just you ought to be proud of what you did. I'm I, I really enjoyed the film. Um, is there any way we can like um Check out what you're going to do next, a website you want to promote, or social media. For sure. So my personal website is stevennye.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-N-N-Y-E.com. You can find out, um, I have a page for this documentary. It's Losing Grip. Um, so you can find out the other film festivals where it's playing, because it is playing at uh, several more film festivals to come. Um, and then I also have uh, my portfolio of um, commercial work on there, which I have a funny comment about that quote that you just read. So um, that quote is from the trophy that Shane was pre presented, um, basically the, the best male gymnast in the country. They're, they award one senior gymnast every year, and Shane won this award. And um, this was also during COVID. And normally they have this like big banquet where they present this in front of, you know, right before the national championship competitions, the night before. They usually bring everybody together and present it, but it was all virtually. And I had like heard a rumor that Shane was going to win this award. And so I was with him at the, the podium training where they practiced the day beforehand. 
um, filming all that. And as soon as I left, I called up his mom, who was home. He was staying at home and said, you know, I heard Shane's going to win this award. Could I possibly come and film him accept this award? And she's like, yeah. So I raced Shane home. I beat him home. I parked like down the street, came in through their back doors. Mom let me in. I sat in his his sister's room with my camera waiting for him to announce the award. His mom pulls out the award. It was like the last part of the Zoom call, so I was waiting there for a long time. And so the first time that Shane realizes I'm in his house is as he's accepting this award and I'm following his mom out with the camera. So it was like a pure, it was just Shane, his mom, and me. And that, that's really one of my like favorite, very cinema verite moments of the film. Now, it was a, a beautiful moment in the film because it's just something that we all want to do just to succeed. And just seeing him work so hard and finally get it, that trophy, you know, it's well worth it. And you documented it pretty well. So thank you, Stephen. So to conclude, Losing Grip will be playing on Saturday, September 30th at American River Room, 11 a.m. through 12 in the afternoon. Thank you, Stephen, for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Daniel. That was amazing. Now on to our second interview where we are having our first international segment where I interview the director of The Happiness Line, Ismael Villaseñor. The Happiness Line is an international documentary from Mexico. This documentary touches the aspect of doing what you love to do at any cost. This segment will be in Spanish, and without further ado, let's get right into it. Bueno, Ismael, uh, bienvenido. Muchas gracias por estar aquí con nosotros. Gracias a ti. Este, para empezar... Um, Dinos, ¿qué se trata su película? La película trata sobre un momento que vivieron una pareja de slackliners, que son deportistas que caminan sobre una línea. Eh, y lo que hacen es mantener el equilibrio sobre esa línea delgada, de como una pulgada aproximadamente. Entonces caminan... Lo que hacen es poner una línea de un tronco a otro y caminar sobre la línea, ¿no? Ese es el, el deporte que hacen ellos. Y yo en mis vacaciones en la playa me encontré a una pareja que hace el deporte y decidí grabarlos porque sabía que nunca en otro momento me los iba a encontrar ya que son nómadas y van viajando de, de país en país y de estado a estado aquí en Latinoamérica entonces no los iba a volver a ver y intento retratar un poco la magia de lo que ellos hacen en ese deporte. Entonces, uh, Tatiana y Francisco, ¿verdad? ¿Ellos no, no son mexicanos? Sí, ah, no, pa, eh, Francisco es mexicano y Tati es eh, de Costa Rica. De Costa Rica. Ok, wow. So, cuando, cuando estabas mirando a estas personas ahí, ¿Qué vino a tu mente? Como, ¿Qué te inspiró para hacer esto? Yo creo que me inspiró su libertad. Al ellos ser nómadas e ir viajando por muchos lugares, conociendo mucha gente, me di cuenta que ellos eran libres y que no, no manejaban eh, esta dinámica que la mayoría manejamos de un trabajo en una oficina o estudiar una carrera y después pensionarte, ¿no? Y, sino que ellos lo que hacen es hacer lo que les gusta, lo que los hace felices y enseñarle a los demás eh, lo que los hace felices. Por eso me motivó a hacer el, el documental. Cuando estabas filmando esta película, ¿qué era lo más difícil en el proceso o algo interesante que aprendiste tú sobre el proceso? 
Creo que al, algo, algo difícil eh, en la parte, por ejemplo, técnica de, de el, a, realizarlo fue eh, grabar el show eh, del final porque lo tuvimos que repetir seis veces para que yo tuviera como las tomas de, de diferentes ángulos y pudiera editar, ya que solamente los iba a ver ese día porque se iban a ir al aeropuerto eh, unas horas después de que grabamos, eh, entonces yo, yo los iba a perder ahí y tenía que grabar, y, y después de grabar seis veces, esta Tatiana se lastimó su hombro porque en una de las tomas ella se recarga en la línea con su hombro y eso quema, quema la piel. Entonces ella se quemó su hombro un poco, pero sí pudimos grabarlo, o sea, quedó, quedó bien, ¿no? Eso técnicamente fue lo más difícil. Porque no, no, nada más tenían una cámara, ¿verdad? Sí, exacto, porque nada más llevábamos una cámara. Hmm. Vamos a hablar sobre la música. ¿La música es original? Sí, es original, solo una composición eh, que se llama Roses de Jean Michael Blaze. Esa composición... Yo, yo le escribí al compositor, es francés, y le pedí autorización para poder usar la música, ya que el show de ellos lo hacían con esa música. O sea, no, no, no planeamos nosotros eh, utilizarla desde antes de grabar, sino que ellos esa, esa canción la usaban para hacer su show en la calle, su, su show en, eh, callejero. Entonces, esa música quedaba perfecto, o sea, no, no podíamos poner otra canción. Y el compositor Jean nos permitió usar la canción, pero si no lo usábamos para lucrar, o sea, no profit. Era un proyecto sin fin de lucro, ¿no? Entonces, eh, al ser un documental que nosotros no íbamos a vender, nos autorizó usar la música. Pero en cuestión de todo lo demás, los sonidos del principio, la música del principio, eh, todo fue hecho por Rodrigo Soto, que es un eh, diseñador de, de sonido. Eh, aquí en México y es eh, mi, mi amigo y mi, mi hermano, ¿no? Mi compañero en, es, en esta productora. Uh -huh. Sí, este, como la gente sabe, vamos a tener un festival de películas aquí, documentales, y su película va, va a estrenar aquí. ¿No ha estrenado en otras partes o esta va a ser la primera festival que está estrenando? Ya estrenó, estrenó aquí en México en un festival internacional que se llama eh, Festival Internacional de Cine con Medios Alternativos. So, ¿Va a ser el estreno uh, en los Estados Unidos? En Estados Unidos vamos... no, es la primera vez que se proyecta en Estados Unidos. Uh -huh. Ajá. Sí, este, con, con nosotros tenemos un cine aquí en la oficina y cuando miramos tu película se sintió como... Te doy, hiciste un buen trabajo como director y uh, cinematógrafo porque cuando estaba viendo la película, como me llevaste ahí, me sentí que yo estaba en la playa viendo a estas personas. Era como muy mágico y la música era como, no sé, es como, a, a, a mí me, me gusta tanto su película, no sé, es como, me, me dio un cinematic experience como dicen. So, y eso es lo que yo agarré, yo, lo que yo agarré de la película es que tienes a estas, esta pareja y están felices porque ellos hacen lo que aman. Ahora mi pregunta para ti es, cuando la gente salga del cine, cuando vean la película aquí, en Sacramento, California, ¿qué es, qué es lo que tú quieres que ellos lleven cuando se vayan de la, del cine? 
Yo, yo lo que quiero es que se cuestionen si lo que están haciendo en este momento en sus vidas es lo que quieren hacer realmente, lo que los hace felices. Que se cuestionen si lo que, lo que están haciendo tal vez no es lo que ellos aman hacer. Y, y, si no, y si ya lo están haciendo también, o sea, si hay alguien que por ahí está haciendo lo que ama, también lo que quiero es que se siga motivando a que, a que lo siga haciendo porque... En, en el mundo hay muchas personas que estamos haciendo lo que nos gusta y que, y, y que se puede, que es real, que no es un sueño nada más, sino nosotros lo hacemos realidad y en donde quiera que estemos nosotros podemos hacer lo que nos gusta y ser felices con eso. Eso es lo que realmente quería mostrarles de lo que yo aprendí al verlos a ellos dos juntos. Sí, muy bonito, sí. Y también lo que a nosotros aquí... Uh, lo que les gustó mucho fue el color de la película. El color es muy... Los colores que escogiste para... You know, el color es como muy bonito. Se siente como... Se siente muy... Como warmth, muy como... Te hace sentir bien, te hace sentir... Los colores son like, colores de felicidad. ¿Me puedes hablar un poquito del proceso del color, cómo, cómo escogiste el color cuando estabas filmando, ¿ya tenías los, el color en tu mente o...? Sí, mira, fíjate que yo como realizador, como filmmaker, eh, cuando yo hago un proyecto, mmm, me fijo mucho en qué colores representan a la persona que estoy filmando, porque normalmente nosotros no, no observamos eso, pero las personas, por ejemplo, en tu cuarto, en tu, en tu room, en tu habitación, eh, tú usas colores que, que te identifican a, a, o cómo te vistes y, y nosotros a veces no nos damos cuenta y esos colores determinan nuestro, nuestro alrededor, nuestro entorno. Entonces yo lo que hago es ver qué colores usan ellos en sus ropas, en, en, en lo que llevan puesto o en los lugares donde están y eso me genera a mí como una perspectiva de lo que yo puedo hacer ya en la postproducción, ¿no? Entonces ellos para mí representaban con el fondo de... El, el Mar de la Paz, Baja California, es un mar cálido pero verdoso. O sea, es verdoso, ese mar es verdoso, el, el agua y, y la iluminación. Entonces ellos también se vestían de esa forma, como warm, se vestían cálido, se vestían eh, eh, verdoso. Ella de hecho trae un, un, un vestuario verde y él trae uno amarillo. Entonces también se determina muchísimo, es como si fuera una gran coincidencia, es una gran coincidencia, y entonces yo lo que hago es observar qué colores son los que están predominando, y eso lo utilizo para hacer la postproducción. Wow. Y este, y con los, porque firmas en la playa y firmas en un cuarto, ¿verdad? Sí. Si cuando estabas firmando porque no sé cómo funciona ya. ¿No necesitabas permiso para firmar? Eh, yo me imagino que sí se necesitaba permiso, pero como, como yo no usé tripié, o sea, el, 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 no usé tripié, no usé un, un soporte, aquí en México, si tú no usas un soporte que, en donde pongas fija la cámara, no se necesita como un permiso porque no estoy cerrando la calle eh, para filmar, ¿no? No, yo no la cerré, yo, yo la dejé así abierta, sino todo fue con la mano, o sea, todo fue en, eh, con, eh, a mano, ¿no? 
Y, y eso, pues, obviamente piensan que tal vez estoy solo grabando un video para redes sociales, ¿no? O sea, no piensan que estás haciendo un, un, un cortometraje. Pero también como ellos estaban eh, eh, atrayendo personas extranjeras y de ahí locales, pero la gente estaba muy feliz con ellos. Ahí, ahí sí está autorizado a hacer shows callejeros. O sea, no tienes que pedir permiso, sino si, los, si les permiten hacerlo. Esa ciudad es una ciudad muy pacífica. Entonces puedes hacer ese tipo de dinámicas. Pero normalmente en México sí se tiene que pagar para grabar en, en las calles. Sí, ¿verdad? Sí. Porque aquí nosotros uh, somos parte de la film office de la ciudad. So, nosotros tratamos mucho con eso, con uh, sacando permiso para que uh, directores o firmen aquí y todo eso. Por eso nomás es una pregunta, porque se ve que era muy público uh, esa parte donde estaban grabando y todo eso. Y unas, unas uh, dos más preguntas. ¿Y tu crew? ¿Cómo agarraste tu crew? Porque andabas en vacación y veo que tienes un, son, un, un muchacho de sonido, un asistente de cámara. ¿Cómo, cómo, cómo encontraste tu crew? El, el, el crew se dividió en dos secciones, en dos lugares. El, el crew uno es cuando grabamos en la playa y solamente iba mi amigo de sonido y yo. O sea, so, solo íbamos dos personas. Entonces, él, él literal agarraba la Tascam, así como si fuera un boom. La agarraba con la mano e intentaba direccionarla a, a lo que estaba pasando, ¿no? Igual grabamos muchos sonidos eh, de, de relleno en, en, en diferentes puntos de la playa, diferentes texturas del agua, para que también tuviéramos como mucho ambiente, mucho sonido ambiente. Y el segundo crew es el crew en donde grabamos el otro, el segundo día, cuando ellos vinieron a Ciudad de México, de pura casualidad, cuando vinieron a Ciudad de México, uno de sus amigos nos prestó su departamento para poder grabar las entrevistas. Entonces ahí nosotros sí llevábamos ya dos personas de sonido, un asistente de cámara, eh, un, eh, el asistente director y yo. Entonces ya, ya éramos como un poco más personas pero igual fue como un crew pequeño, o sea, no, no éramos demasiados. ¿Y qué piensas en tu opinión? ¿Qué hace un documental excelente? Yo, es una muy buena pregunta. Yo, yo creo que actualmente hay muchas formas de hacer documental, pero lo que hace que sea un documental excelente es que cuando las personas salgan de la sala realmente se, se cuestionen lo que vieron y se lleven una reflexión a, su, a, a sus casas. Aunque sea una sola persona, aunque sea una sola persona la que te diga cambió mi vida o me ayudaste en algo o me hiciste sentir bien o tal vez me hiciste reflexionar algo en mi vida, ya con eso siento que es un excelente documental. Porque normalmente nosotros nos preocupamos por hacer cine para festivales, pero realmente el cine se hace para la gente, para que el público la vea. Y si no estás enfocado en el público, entonces solamente estás enfocado en los críticos de cine. Pero pues son muy pocas personas las que son críticos de cine. Entonces, si, si tu mensaje va dirigido a las personas, entonces creo que es un excelente documental. Atrás de, atrás de las cámaras no tienes... ¿Unas historias que puedes compartir con nosotros? Sí, de hecho, hay, hay una historia muy particular. Eh, eh, antes de grabar el documental, eh, el cómo los conocí. Y esas sí se las quiero compartir porque es una historia muy divertida. 
eh, mi amigo y yo estábamos disfrutando de, del sol, estábamos en la playa, así en la arena, eh, debajo de una palmera, <ríe> y, y vimos a lo lejos a una pareja que estaba haciendo acrobacias, o sea, se paraban de manos y... Y pues nos llamó la atención, pero no, no dijimos nada y, y solamente esperamos ¿no? a que atardeciera para poder irnos. Antes de que atardeciera, estos chicos se acercaron porque sus cosas estaban al lado de la de nosotros, pero nosotros no sabíamos que eran sus cosas, sus maletas. Entonces yo, yo saqué la cámara para grabar eh, el atardecer, porque en La Paz los atardeceres son hermosos. Y, y el, el chico Paco me dijo que que él conocía a alguien que también tenía esa cámara, eh, una Black Magic, ¿no? Y, y entonces empezamos a platicar, pero nosotros llevábamos pollo rostizado, llevábamos pollo asado, eh, que es como eh, pollo frito, ¿no? Eh, pero llevábamos dos, dos o tres pollos y nosotros no comimos, o sea, mi amigo y yo casi no comimos, y ellos se ve que tenían mucha hambre. Entonces yo les dije, hey, ¿quieren comer pollo? O sea, ¿quieren comer? Y no me lo aceptaron hasta que les insistí mucho. Pero gracias a que me aceptaron el pollo, yo pude hacer el documental. O sea, yo, yo tuve que eh, ser pues como latino, como soy, ¿no? Así de, oigan, ¿quieren comer? <risa> no han sí, comido. Sí, sí. Y, y, y dos desconocidos, nunca los habías visto en mi vida. Y, y nos hicimos amigos en ese momento. Y yo sabía que tenía que grabarlos. O sea, algo, algo en mí me decía que tenía que grabar su historia de alguna forma, que los había conocido por algo, que no era una casualidad. Pero así es como empezó eh, la historia de grabar este documental. Wow, wow, sí. Bueno, Ismael, muchas gracias. Como te dije, tu película es amazing, spectacular. Yo tomé mucho al corazón de, de, de su película. Eh, como la grabaste, como la dirigiste, es, es muy bonita. Eh, y... Ya, yo también quiero que la gente aquí vea y que, que, que experience lo que yo sentí. Y te aseguro que mucha gente se va a sentir lo que yo sentí cuando vean um, tu película en el cine. Muchas gracias. So, muchas gracias y te deseo mucho éxito. ¿Y no estás trabajando en uh, unos proyectos ahí que, los, que nos puedes contar? Sí, de hecho, eh, me, si nos pudieran seguir en, en redes sociales, en Instagram estamos como crecer-mx, que eh, es con S, no es con C, crecer. Eh, y nuestra página web es eh, crecermx.com, eh, no, crecermx.xyz, es XYZ. Y pues ahí nos pueden seguir, nosotros seguimos haciendo proyectos, tanto ficción como documentales, eh, y sí, estamos, estamos produciendo pero también sabemos que el cine lleva tiempo, entonces nos estamos preparando para otros proyectos más. Sí, tu película va a estar aquí a las 2.45 pm el sábado, septiembre 30. So, si hay unos latinos aquí que están escuchando y si quieren venir, que vengan, pueden comprar boletos a calcapdogfest.org. Y aquí los esperamos. Ismael, muchas gracias y fue un placer. Muchas gracias a ti, Rafa. Gracias por tus palabras. <risa> <risa>